0: Elder Jonathan's going to share today on grace, so let's pray for him, and then we will get, uh, get started. Father, we thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for the things that you've worked in and through him. I pray that you would just bring peace to him, that uh, he would clearly communicate the things that, um, that he's learned. May we walk out of here um, different. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts fertile soil, minds to comprehend, and feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Pickleball sounds fun, but uh, if you're bad at tennis, can you be good at pickleball? Okay. There might be hope for me. I like that. All right, uh, first of all, thank you to Steven and Janae. I, uh, I'm just always a, always a mess. But they, uh, I went over there, and Janae was helping me get this thing hooked up, and she had to touch, touch my hair, so I'm sorry. And uh, it was probably still wet and gross from I, I did take a shower, it was wet and gross from a shower. But uh, she got me all hooked up, and then Stephen and like, checked to make sure that the slides I'd sent last night we're right. So it's a good thing he checked because I looked at it and I said, Oh no, that's that's what Pastor Joey preached on last week. So I almost didn't have the right scripture up there and them um, interrupting him during during worship. And if you don't know, he has to he has to click on the appropriate slide that way you guys know what to sing. So he's downloading my new file that I sent him while also clicking. So he's back and forth like getting my file, clicking so you guys know what the, the lyrics are to the, the song. It was Quite the ordeal in multitasking, so well done, Stephen. Yeah. What would we do without our tech booth? Thank you. Yeah, so anyways, hopefully this goes better than, than the way it started. <laughs> All right, so talking more about grace. Today's subject is reigning by grace. And I figured it would be good to start with a question. Get things going, get it easy. Is God any different today than he was 2,000 years ago? No. Uh, Jesus was present on earth at the time. God wasn't any different then. How about 3,500 years ago around the time of Moses? Was God any different? No. How about even before that during the time of Noah? No. See, I'm keeping it easy for you. You're welcome. God is not different. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I bring that up because grace, the grace of God is evident throughout all of scripture it's not just a new testament idea a lot of times we we think about grace and we think about the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus did and the grace that came with that which is which is awesome Uh, but that's not where it started you got uh, actually in book of Genesis 6 8 Noah said God said to Noah but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord God didn't say anything this is just what the text says (laughs) <laughs> but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So even in Genesis, we get the idea of grace that in the very introduction of the Bible, when God was ready to destroy and start over, decided to show grace to Noah and his family and anybody else that was ready to, and willing to listen, even though there weren't really anybody. They all thought he was crazy. Uh, you got Abraham and Sarah. The number of times that they screwed up was uh, kind of embarrassing for them, but it you know gives us hope that we can too be uh, a little bit of a mess and screw up, and God was still faithful to his promises to them and their offspring. And Jacob, that's a guy I'd love to uh, do a whole series on, why God chose Jacob over his twin brother Esau. Um, he, was, he, he was quite the character, but God still, still used his transformational grace to uh, have Jacob become Israel and have 12 sons and on and on and on. Also, Joseph, he endured a lot of hardship, impressive amount of hardship, and still was faithful to God, only through the grace of God, I'm sure, that he was able to persevere through all that. Moses, a murderer, runs away, spends his time as a farmhand on his father-in-law's land, um, and by the grace of God, was used to deliver the Lord's people from Egypt, and on and on and on, right? We could keep going forever talking about all the times that God's grace was evident throughout Scripture, the Israelites, Rahab, David, all people who experienced God's grace that had lives that were transformed by him. And none of these people on their own were remarkable and, you know, on their own or deserved this grace in any particular way, but he gave it freely to them and he gives it freely to us. So last week, Pastor Joey taught on grace in a way that we don't hear often, Right? Uh, grace is transformational. It's, it's not in the sense that we get to just feel less guilty about our sin, but that grace is so powerful that if utilized fully, we become more like Jesus. So it's not just a covering of our sin, so that way we look more like, we still look like the world, but we're just more forgiven, right? Instead, it's um, that we look more like Jesus because of the power of grace. So, we're gonna continue with that idea today. Uh, actually, I have another thing to confess, another just sidetrack of me being a little bit of a mess. I talked to Joey on Wednesday and said, hey, I'm working through the sermon this week, I just wanna make sure I'm on the right track of what you, what you had as an idea for grace on this topic. And he said, wait, you're preaching Sunday? <laughs> uh, I don't know, <laughs> am I? And um, throughout conversation, it was correct, I was wrong. He was actually right in this case, which I hate to admit, but um, I was supposed to two weeks from now, but we, we decided through that conversation that this particular topic is a perfect, um, in just immediately right after what we talked about last week. So, here I am, and uh, everything's okay. <laughs> Joe, you were right, it still hurts, still hurts. So, today's topic is reigning by grace, and what does it mean to reign? Well, in this context, it means to prevail or rule. And we're specifically talking about sin. And uh, I didn't hear any grumbling, so that's good. Oh, man, I don't want to talk about sin again, right? Well, too bad, not taking complaints. Um, But seriously, what is the one thing that separates us most from God? It's our sin. And so in our journey of loving God and growing closer to Him, we should be discussing sin often. The entire biblical narrative is a redemption story. And redemption from what? It's our sin. And uh, so, is this just to focus on how terrible of people we are? No. I mean, yes, we are kind of terrible people at times, right? But the biblical narrative and God's redemptive, redemptive um, character that He is is just to show how awesome God is, how He's merciful, He's gracious. Worthy of all praise. And what does he want from us? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to partner with him. And can we trust him? Yes. The entire word is a reminder of throughout all the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the New Testament. Everything points to the fact that we can trust God and he is worthy. And um, all right, so we're going to hang out a little bit in Romans today. So let's dig into this a little more. Our focus is going to start in Romans 5. So go ahead. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, I hope that I actually got the right slides to Stephen and that we got this figured out. Perfect. Yes, thank you, Stephen. This is where we are. Romans 5, verse 12. <clears throat> and this is where Paul brings up the two Adams. So I'll read, uh, read 12 through 16 here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift, this is where we're talking about grace, the gift is not like the trespass, So I underlined that there, verse fifteen. How much more? Um, I just love that. Paul uses that a lot. And uh, this is like a I guess common rabbinic teaching that that the rabbis would use. But Jesus used it too in Matthew seven when he's talking about parents. Like, hey parents, you're think about how much you're willing to give good gifts to your pill, to your children. How much more is your father in heaven willing to give good gifts to those who ask him? So we're gonna See this theme of how much more, um, throughout today, as we as we continue studying in Romans, <clears throat> and uh, so sin entered into the world through the sin of Adam, and the impact of that has been huge, huge. The law trespasses, death. The pattern continued and continued. If all of us have been so hugely impacted by the one man, by that sin of Adam, then how much more? Should the impact of Jesus be? So let's keep reading in Romans 5, 17 through 19 now. It just gets better and better. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. This is good stuff, right? God's abundant provision of grace is what it says there. God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness is so much greater than the sin and death that followed Adam. So grace is so much more than what we make it out to be, right? So I wanna talk about your identity now. And uh, again, I didn't really see anybody like, what? It's a good thing, but I'm not talking about pronouns, so don't get too excited. This is in reference to the scripture we are just reading through. Do you identify with Adam or with Jesus? Again, do you identify with sin or with grace and righteousness? Do you find yourself prone to saying something like, well, it's not my fault, I've got this sin problem, blame Adam. Or praise God for the gift of grace and how much that is greater than my sin problem, thank you, Jesus. All right, what's our perspective when we're when we're thinking about our sin? Jesus, the second Adam as Paul's describing him here, does everything the complete opposite of the first Adam. Adam sinned, Jesus was obedient. Adam was condemned and Jesus brought justification. Adam brought death and Jesus brings grace and righteousness and life. So, are we following the pattern of the first Adam? the second Adam how do we relate to God which representative is our representative to God so again as we think on our prayer lives and as we're as we're relating with God and talking with him do we say ah Lord forgive me for screwing up again or Lord I pray for your grace and power that over that will overcome the sin that I can't get rid of on my own it's a kind of a kind of a perspective thing right Um, So, with how much of a stronghold sin is in our lives, how much more is the grace given through the death of Jesus? So, sin ain't got nothing. Sin ain't got nothing on the grace given by Jesus. So, do you think the failure of Adam is greater than the redemption through Jesus Christ? No. But sometimes the way we talk about our sin makes me think we often do believe that. And, um, you know, we're we're not studying or teaching really anything drastically new today, but that is a, this is a thing we need to be reminded of often, is it not? So I, I do want to have a little sidetrack here for a second and remind us who Paul is sending this message to because I think this is where we Christians often mess up in, in the areas where we may be calling, our, in evangelism basically. Because is Paul talking to non-Christians here? no. This is a letter to the church in Rome who are blended with Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So his audience already knows Jesus. This message is for believers. And once we know Jesus, we get to apply this teaching to our lives, right? So I bring that up because you may or may not have told others or have at least witnessed others um, as you're talking to non-followers of Jesus, but uh, you know, we, we're constantly trying to call people out on their sin, even if they're not followers of Jesus, right? Like, hey, don't you know what you're doing is wrong? Don't you know it's a sin? Don't you know God hates that? Don't you know you should live a different lifestyle? You need to fix that. You need to stop sinning and get right with God. So it's no wonder why, I mean, sometimes that probably works, right? I think, yeah, I think of those people at the picket signs, at the concert, you know, the rock concert that are like, repent. They might work sometimes. So it's not entirely a bad thing, but I think it does lead to the um, opinion of Christians being judgmental, holier-than-thou people, right? We are, we are sinners, and we're trying to apply the teachings of Jesus, and our conversation with non-Christians needs to be um, not how to apply the teachings of Jesus, but just to get them to know who Jesus is, right? They need to get to know Jesus first. We deal with that first, and then we learn to apply his teachings, uh, in John 6:44, Jesus said, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day." God draws us into a relationship with Him. God is drawing people all the time. He's not dragging them, though. Um, I think most of, not all, we we've, we've been there where we recognize that God never dragged us; He was drawing us. And so many times we're like, hey, he was, he was drawing us over and over and over and we just kept ignoring it, right? We rejected that draw way too many times before finally realizing how much we needed a savior in a relationship with our Lord Jesus. But that draw can be rejected. Jesus said in John 16 that his spirit will come and convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I read that stuff and I think, uh, I gotta remind myself to stay in my lane, Right? I've got to apply Jesus' teachings to my life. I've got to disciple other Christians to do the same and tell non-believers about who Jesus is and let his Holy Spirit convict them. So people need to be, aware, need to be made aware of sin. Otherwise, why else would they need a Savior? So that's the tricky part, is how do we love people without being accepting of, of sin? Um... I read a book a few years ago by Ray Comfort called Faith is for Weak People, which I thought that was a funny title of a book, but so naturally I had to read it. it uh, he's got a quote in there, and uh, I might have, no, I think this is a direct code. I, d- I didn't alter this in any way. Here we go. The argument that homosexuals are born that way is true. You know, you've heard that. I was born this way. He says, the argument that homosexual is born that way is true. Just like someone who eventually gives into adultery, they were born into sin. And as much as they fight it, it's forever difficult. We're all born with sin and fleshly desires, and that's why we must be born again. God loves all people, and because of that love, he wants us to be free from sin. So yeah, I like that. We're all born that way, whatever that sinful way is for you, whether it's lust or just anger or whatever. We're all born that way, and we've, um, we've got to be raised from death like Jesus was. But Jesus, those of us that have been raised from death with Jesus Christ now have power over that, which was once impossibly difficult to fight, right? So I'm getting slightly ahead of myself. Um, let's jump back to Romans 6. So we're a few verses ahead now. We're in Romans 6. Verses 4 and 5. All right. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we were united with him in death and united with him in resurrection. That's a new life. We live a new life and we're united with Jesus. John 8:12 says the same thing. I am the light of the world. Jesus said, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." Our perspective changes to want to do the will of our Father because we are united with Christ and have the light of life. It's not the thought of, "Well, Jesus would want me to turn from this." It's a desire to where we say, I want to turn from this because of the love I have for Jesus and how that's changed my heart. Let's keep reading verses 6 here. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, in that same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ and Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So there's that word reign. Therefore, do not let sin reign. We died with Christ and we live with him. So I like to point out the the tense of that verb there in in verse 8, died. Does this mean that we die to sin if we do certain things or we die to sin if we just take certain actions? No, it's past tense. It already happened. We as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, it's already happened. It's a done deal. Christ was raised from the dead and cannot die again in the same way that death no longer has mastery over him. Sin no longer rules over us either, right? So not only are we a new creation, we have this new ability. I don't know if you want to call it a superpower, but it is a new ability, a new power. The Holy Spirit in us, we're a brand new kind of human being now. This is that transformational power of grace. This is how we reign by grace. So, because of all that, our perspective needs to change from us thinking that we are fighting for victory over sin to us knowing that we are fighting from a position of victory. All right? It's already through the cross and resurrection of Christ, the victory has already been won, it's already done deal. The only power the enemy has is the power you give him. So we're to stand firm in Christ's victory. Our small group is going through uh, a series by Tony Evans called the uh, What's it called the Power of Knowing God, and I've been reading his book, which has the same title. And there is a uh, a great point about our identity as we continue to talk about our identity in Christ. And so I've got a, a quote from that here. That I this one I did kind of alter a little bit, but the idea is there. What happens when we are constantly seeking our identity in others? Buying our favorite athlete's jersey, buying a certain brand of athletic wear because someone we admire wears it and looks good wearing it, spending thousands on surgeries to fix flaws, desiring to go to the same vacation spots as someone else. People are desperate to establish their identity, yet it seems that, oddly, Depression, anxiety, worry, overspending, crash dieting, codependency, addiction, all these things are still a huge problem and seem to be on the rise. They don't seem to be getting any better. So I like that because the point you made about our identity is so often very skewed. That's straight up from the enemy, right? John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came so that you might have life and have it to the full. So our identity needs to be found in Christ alone. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, "Not I no longer live in Christ. It says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's, That's my identity. That's your identity. So many people, especially young people, don't have any truth in life because of what we just talked about, the social media and where they're trying to find identity. And, you know, every day they're being told how to think or feel or do this, do that, and you'll be loved and appreciated. And those are all constantly changing, right? The right thing according to everyone else is constantly changing. So um, it just never feels like they're doing anything correctly. And there's just no truth in their life at all. But we have truth, right? We have this Bible that tells us exactly who we are that we are made in the image of God, and that sin in our life has no power over us. Um, Another quote from Tony's book here. So Satan wants to steal your life from you. He can crush dreams, scar souls, ruin personal esteem, hope, relationship, finances, belief, and character. One of the benefits of knowing God more fully and deeply is that when you discover who he is, you also discover who you truly are so how much different would your life look if you recognized who you are in Christ if I recognize who I am in Christ your identity is in him my identity is in him and we recognize that Satan has one goal and he's good at it but Jesus Christ is so much more than any of that sin's difficult but how much more powerful how much more meaningful is Jesus over all that other stuff so, um, I was talking about this, this is probably, I don't know, a year or two ago with somebody. Um, we were talking about Romans and this, this whole idea of us just having, once we're in Christ, we have this power over sin in our lives. And they said, well, what about, what about the conundrum that Paul has in Ro- at the end of Romans seven, where he says, you know, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I do wanna do. And it's a really long paragraph that's kinda hard to read. You gotta go through it really slowly. Um, but I've heard people reference that and say, you know, it does make them feel better about the struggle of sin, so what about that? What about his 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 struggles there? Um, but I think uh, that no matter how, you know, this is where he's basically saying no matter how hard he tries, he he's, keeps doing it, keeps doing the things he doesn't want to do, keeps not doing the things he do, does want to do, but... This is in the middle of this, this whole letter to Romans. I don't think we're supposed to ignore what comes before it or comes after it, right? I think he's got a point in what he's trying to say. So the more I looked at that, um, the more I realized that, uh, you know, we've, we've got to look at that a little bit more closely. I don't think he's making excuses. But right after he says that, in Romans 8, this is probably one of our favorite verses, right? There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Better be some amens and hallelujahs. (laughs) All right. God says you stand before him with zero condemnation. So even if we have a sin problem, God's gracious, right? Because of Jesus, we spend eternity beyond this life with God. But eternal life starts now. What and what does that look like? It's this transformational grace that we're talking about. Uh, By God's Holy Spirit, Jesus left and his Holy Spirit came to dwell in us in his place. So Paul does go on to say that when he learned to walk in the Spirit, he was released from that hold of sin. So no, he didn't just stop with those struggle statements at the end of chapter 7. There is the victory that we can never achieve on our own. And that's what Paul eventually gets to in in Romans 8. Our flesh is always going to have the sin problem but the grace of god through the holy spirit thanks to the sacrifice of jesus empowers us to have victory over what our flesh cannot do by itself so the point of paul talking about that struggle isn't to make us feel better about having this continual struggle it's good to know that he was able to relate but the point is that there is victory because of grace and when we allow god's Spirit to lead our lives, it gets to look a whole lot different. And that's why we say eternal life starts now, right? Um, there's a, There was another book I read. I'm going to do another quote. lots of book quotes today. It's okay. As long as most of them are from the Bible, right? All right, so this one was a book called Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Um, this particular book uh, was mostly focused on the sin of pornography and lust but i mean this book's great for just any kind of any kind of sin you're trying to help somebody through it, You're trying to help yourself through it. whatever it is but he said the quote is the great danger in your struggle is that you will devote all of your energy to thinking true and awful things about whatever that sin is and spend no time dwelling on the true and wonderful things about jesus Right? So that one, really, that one really hit me, right? Like how often do we spend so much time just focused on this sin? Like, oh, I did it again. Right, Like, oh, I was angry again. Oh, I yelled at this person again. Or, or lust or whatever. We spend so much time and energy just focused on that particular sin and how terrible it is and how terrible we are. And we spend no time dwelling on the true and wonderful things about Jesus. I think if we kind of changed our perspective and our mindset a little bit, it would probably change the way we handle our sin. So, if we have a perpetual or habitual sin that we feel we can't overcome in our lives, it's probably because we don't believe in the power of grace over the sin in our lives. So that, that kind of really, really hit, hit pretty hard when I read that. The danger is that we, we devote all our energy to thinking true and awful things about the sin and spend no time dwelling on the true and wonderful things about Jesus. So. In, in this Romans here, it's, it is kind of fun because Paul spends so much time just correcting people, and I, I like that. <laughs> he spends so much time correcting both the Gentile Christians that are in Rome and the Jewish Christians that are in Rome because that had to be just crazy, those two groups being together, right? But they're both like my standard of measurement, my, my, my measurement stick. I think of like a yardstick, and they're like, and the, you know, the Jewish Christians are like, We've got the Torah. This is our measurement stick and it's better than yours. And the Gentile Christians are like, well, we've got our moral law and it's better than yours. And Paul just says, stop. You're all sinners. Neither one of you are measuring up to whatever that level of, you know, that measurement stick. You're not, you're not living up to it at all. You're all sinners. Everyone, no matter what you're gauging yourself against. We can't live up to it. Can't conquer sin on our own. And, um, so I like that a lot. I like, I like that, that uh, Paul is constantly correcting them because we need to do that too, right? We, we start to think that we're better than other groups of people because we've, we don't deal with anger or we don't deal with lust, but somebody else does. But the reality is we're all sinners and we all have a big problem in our lives, whether it's visible or not. But with Jesus, where there's a big sin problem, Jesus' grace is even bigger. So... Um, Give it to me step by step, right? How do we we go about this? My flesh has the sinful desire, and that has power over me. But God's spirit in me has power over my flesh, over my sin. That has me walking in a completely different direction. So I I just constantly think it's this focus change. I can focus on walking dependently on my flesh, or I can walk and focus on God, being led by His Spirit, for victory over the things in my life. I, uh, I see Peggy and Wilma walking around McCainsburg all the time. And uh, you know the cross-country team thinks they run these streets? No. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> it's them too. Anyway, as, you guys, as, you, as they're walking around, say you're walking past Jennifer Cruz's house, and you keep walking, you're still walking, but you're looking over, admiring her beautiful red Honda Civic. And uh, what's going to happen as you're, as you're walking and not looking where you're going? You're going to roll your ankle on the grass and you're going to fall face first into a tree, right? That's the only thing that's going to happen. You're not looking where you're going. You're not focused on where your feet are going. So I think about, I think about that as we walk in the Spirit. We've got to focus on God. God. We've got to focus on living a life like Jesus lived. We've got to live into God's grace and its fullness. God's grace gives us his spirit, and his spirit gives us power over temptation. You know, Jesus was tempted, right? Just like you and I. Yes, He was God, but he was also human. So he was tempted. He was out on his own trying to focus on the Father, like we often do, right? He's focusing on the Father, and Satan comes along, throwing temptation after temptation. Did Jesus overcome that temptation on his own power? No, actually, the Holy Spirit was with him. Um, I threw the verse up here, Matthew 4, verse 1. It shows that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and uh, I'm not going to read the rest of it here, but you know that the devil comes along and is tempting him, and what does Jesus do to, uh, to overcome that temptation? He throws scripture back at him, right? So there's where the, the importance is and just kind of constantly reading and dwelling and praying over scripture. That's gonna be the thing that's gonna help us um, as we walk with the Holy Spirit in fighting temptations in our lives. So Jesus is described as the second man or the second Adam or the last Adam. Uh, the foot, footnote in my Bible said it this way, which I, which I really like. <clears throat> the first Adam was tested in the garden, gave in to Satan, and got the human race kicked out into the wilderness. The last Adam, Jesus here, went into the wilderness to defeat Satan so that he can escort us back into the garden. Right? I like that. That's really good. So having just finished Revelation, we know it could be some time before we're back in the garden with Jesus. Uh, Hopefully sooner than later, especially since the election cycle has started again. (laughs) Lord, come now. Please come now. (laughs) Anyways, we haven't been escorted back to the garden yet. But that's coming. And the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus in the wilderness and empowered him to overcome the enemy's temptation is with us and can empower us in the same way. So Jesus quoted Scripture. Is, Is Scripture one of the first things that we... Turn to or the last? So that was that was convicting when I thought about that. If Jesus needed to use scripture against the enemy, how much more do we, right? Our struggle in this world is against what? Fighting our fleshly desires or trying our hardest not to sin or to feel powerless? Um, I threw Ephesians 6:12 up here. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood against the schemes of the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. Our sin and our temptation is so much more than what we think it is. The people are real. The problems are real. They're just not the root problem, right? So we've got to recognize the real enemy isn't the person that you're upset with or in conflict with. Um, It's not your job. It's not your health. It's not the economy. Guess what? It's not even the person in the White House, right? The real enemy isn't visible. The fight isn't visible. The pain is real. The struggle, the defeat, the heartache, the frustration, all that stuff is very real. But um, I know it's not Halloween time, but the Satan that we see walking around during Halloween halloween time is not, not how he is. The spiritual stuff is real. Jesus casting out demons wasn't fiction or fantasy stuff. Jesus being tempted in the desert wasn't like a sci-fi story of Morpheus Morpheus offering the red pill or the blue pill. Uh, It's the spiritual forces, the darkness, the light. It's all real, and it's all around. We can't ignore it. So when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, um, he was talking about putting on the armor of God to be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. So they needed to understand, we need to understand that they were not strong enough, we are not strong enough on our own to resist the temptations and tactics of the enemy. It is God's power and strength that empowers us to overcome. So this is kind of like my my hype talk, my pep speech, right? Like we need to be reminded of this stuff as often as possible because uh, grace is transformational. Grace is life-bringing. Evil won't win. Don't let the enemy win, right? Right? Trust what God says is true. His grace has already given us the victory over sin. Identify with Jesus, not with Adam. Spend time in his word and in prayer with him. Allow his Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome sin. We can't do it on our own. and We are all in great need of his grace to reign in our lives. So I wanted to finish with uh, Hebrews chapter 4 here. Therefore... So we are to approach God's grace with confidence. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today of just how powerful you are and how transformational your grace is. How much more we could be utilizing grace in our lives. So Father, as um, as we pray now and as we get ready to leave and eat lunch and whatever else we're doing today, I pray that you'll just constantly remind us that your grace is way more than just a covering of our sin. Your grace is powerful enough to have us overcome the sin in our lives. And I pray that we'll just be constantly reminded of that, that we won't be beat up, we won't feel pressed down by the sin and temptation in our lives, but we'll feel this just confidence in who you are and the powerful ways that you can transform us to overcome that sin and that temptation in our lives. So, Father, be with us today. Thank you for the time that we get to worship you this morning together as a congregation. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.